You're listening to Co-op Mood, a casually serious conversation about playing video games. This is episode 20, a modern ancient epic. Luke, I am your father. I'm Sally. You can find me on Twitter at Sally T. And I'm Shane. You can find me on Twitter at Mundangerous. So <laughs> okay, I guess I guess you're you're presaging this episode. Yeah, <laughs> this, uh, I this want news item for this episode, huh? <laughs> yeah, I wanted to just really lean into the fact that we're going to be talking about Star Wars. That's our news item for this episode, and I I guess that it does count as a spoiler, but I think it's not a spoiler if it's this long after, <laughs> right? <laughs> I think you're good. It's been multiple decades. Um, anyway, so yeah, we you know we start every episode talking about a story in the news related to video games that we think is like fun or interesting or weird. And the one that we're going to talk about this episode is something that has video game people all a Twitter, which is that Ubisoft is going to be making an open world Star Wars game, which I think that those are just a lot of words that Star Wars fans long to hear and also maybe like completely dread. Yeah, it's like, great. It's no longer solely the exclusive license of EA, right? Who I think, well, I can speak for myself. I'm tired of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, fair, I know what fair. EA does. I'm tired of that. I want to see something different. But then it's like, oh, but it's Ubisoft. <laughs> like, I can't wait to play the Division 2 Star Wars edition. <laughs> right. I feel like Ubisoft is really good at making just very kind of vanilla open world games where, you know, they get the job done. You're playing in a very competently made open world, but oftentimes it feels like it's just been reskinned for the, you know, the property, which is fine. But I feel like, you know, I, I think, so there's this Washington post article with the headline, what we want from Ubisoft massives open world star Wars game. So massive is the developers who did at Ubisoft, who did the division two. And in this article, the three writers, it's like a co-byline with three writers. And they basically talk about how, what they want from this game is for it to be not a very vanilla Ubisoft open world game. And for it to have the sort of like aesthetic and details and mechanics and just elements that make star Wars a very unique property and Mm. like cultural thing, which I think is like a pretty fair, um, I think it's a, it's a really interesting like articulation of what a star Wars fan wants from a game for it to really function as like something that should exist in the star Wars, like family of products. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, there is so much Star Wars stuff happening now and Star Wars has been going for so long, right? Like from the seventies to now, like, I don't know what a Star Wars, what a quote, good Star Wars story is anymore. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like, I don't think, cause like I've, I've felt this way actually for a while is that like Star Wars stories aren't really for me anymore. You know, like they, they've gone in a different direction with the entire franchise and like it's not really the direction that I enjoy and it's not what I liked about about Star Wars when I first like fell in love with it. Right. And, and that's fine. But if if I feel that way, I'm certain that there are other groups of fans who feel different. You know, people who love the prequels, right. People who love the newest ones. Right. Like w- kids, you know, don't have that kind of like attachment and nostalgia for the original that that I do. You know, people love Knights of the Old Republic or KOTOR 2 or, you know, any of a number of different entries into the video game series. Everyone wants their own thing. There's things they liked about them. Like, 
I, it's almost like you can't please everybody and you might end up pleasing nobody, which is, you know, sort of what the latest films have done. <laughs> yeah. I, as I was telling you before we recorded, I have no business talking about Star Wars because I saw the first three movies, which as I said to you are from the seventies or whatever. Uh -huh. And then I saw the first one with Daisy Ridley. And then another one that I thought was the continuation of the Daisy Ridley, John Boyega one, but was actually some like one off. And I was super mad. So like, I, you know, I, it's like a thing that I just feel like I don't have the gene for. Like I appreciate it and people are psyched about Star Wars and I think that's really cool. I can't get involved. Like there's just too much lore. I've missed too much. Like it just needs to pass <laughs> me by. <laughs> but I I will say that like, this is the kind of thing where I, it, it, it is like so dangerous to make a huge piece of media around such a beloved and such a beloved franchise and one that people fight about online all the time. And what I want for the developers and for the people who are going to play this game is that they make something that people feel is a good representation of the thing they love, which I feel like, as you're saying, is going to be really hard to do because people are so divided about like what they like about it. But there's just kind of nothing sadder than when, you know, something, a movie gets made like a sequel or a reboot or a video game or whatever. And it just, it it almost it it feels like an insult to the original thing and that is what i hope doesn't happen here even as someone who's completely i just could not be less invested in this cuz i'm not a fan but i just <laughs> i don't want it to be a major fluff i want star wars fans to have the thing that they deserve because it's a, it's a beloved property and i feel like you know this kind of a beloved property that has this long of a legacy in our culture deserves like some tlc you know yeah maybe in 2022 we'll have a good day on the internet yeah well we can hope we can hope <laughs> <laughs> So let's talk about what we're playing right now. Shane, what have you been up to video game wise in all of your free time? Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm back at work now. My paternity leave is over. So, oh boy, not much. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty much trying to trying to squeeze in some time to play Raji, which we're going to talk about later on. But I am I am tapped out of video game time at the moment. Fair enough. Well, let me relieve you of the burden of having something to contribute to this part of the episode because I've been playing yeah, a lot let, of video games. Exactly. <laughs> let me let me just live vicariously through you. <laughs> okay, I'm very glad to to offer you an exciting life to enjoy. I okay, so I finished Spider Man Miles Morales, which is really fun. Miles Morales is great. There's a lot of like really lovable and awesome things. You know, I don't know. I'm I'm <laughs> I'm sort of like such an interloper on so many conversations about video games because Spider-Man is like and superheroes in general, like comics and so on. That's like another thing that I have no business talking about because I'm not I don't really understand the Avengers. I've seen some of the movies. They're really some of them are really long. Some of them are, are less long. Some of them are <laughs> good and long. Like I, I don't know what to say. I don't. Again, I don't. I feel like I do not have the bona fides to like comment on the extent to which this does Spider-Man justice. However, it's a great game. There are just some issues. Like I, I take issue with like the way that cops are portrayed in the two Spider-Man games. I just I feel like we are past the time for police, especially like the NYPD to be portrayed in like the loving way they're portrayed in these games. You know, I think that this game has like a lot of heart. Like I feel like it feels like it just 
more substantive to me than the first game. The first game was longer and had more content. This game to me just has more heart and more interesting things going on, more relationships. I talked in our last mm-hmm. episode about the relationship between Miles Morales and his best friend Genki is like really lovely and sweet. And it's like two teenage boys being just being like, you're great. I couldn't do this without you. I love you, which I completely live for because that's the kind of sap I am. So I, (laughs) I recommend playing this game. The other game I am playing right now is The Legend of Zelda A Link to the Past, which you may remember from 1992 when it was released for Super Nintendo. I am playing this game on Switch. And it basically what you do is if you have a subscription to Switch online, you can play like a bunch of NES games and Super NES games. This game is like, I I, I never played this until now. I played Legend of Zelda. Mm-hmm. This is the third installment. So it is much like the first, the original game, Legend of Zelda, where it's a top-down view and you're Link and you go around the map. You know, <laughs> the theme of this episode is like oh, yeah. lore I don't know enough about to comment on. And uh, oh yeah, Legend of Zelda, you know, it's real deep. Like, you know, and I, it's so deep. And, I, you know, I'm also playing Breath of the Wild and I, you know, I see a lot of through lines, but I have to say like, to reconstruct, to tell you what the story is of this game, other than the fact that like I'm Link and I think I'm like saving <laughs> Zelda. I'm not even totally sure about that. Um, that's as much as I can tell you. But it's just, it's really fun. It's really, really fun. So you go around, you know, you, there's puzzles, you know, you you get different. The thing, the thing I love about Zelda, and I guess like this is the case for a lot of RPGs, but it feels really specific to me in Legend of Zelda is that there's someone, there's an NPC who's like, you have to go talk to this person and they'll tell you what to do. And then you go talk to that person and they're like, here's what you do. You you need this one thing, but to get this thing, you need this other thing. And then to get that, you need to get these three things. But to get those three things, you need to go to this place and kill this monster. And it's like, you, you know, with one conversation, you have 55 <laughs> missions, like story missions and side missions Your and stuff. And there's something that's you. just, yeah, it, there's something that's just like really charming about it to me. So let me tell you though, why this game is so fun to play. First of all, I'm playing it with my wife. Like we're like playing it together, which is really fun. But the best part about Switch Online is that in any of the games, if you die, you press the two like shoulder buttons and you just rewind. So you don't have to deal with like the really frustrating thing about gaming on like older consoles, which is that like, if you die, you fucking start over and you lose your progress. So anytime I've died, I just rewind. And if it weren't for that feature, I definitely would not be playing this game as much as I am because it's Mm -hmm. too annoying to die and start over all the time, which is, I don't even know how I played video games back in like the eighties and nineties, because that's, you couldn't even like save. I mean, on this game, I think super Nintendo, I think you could save your progress, but like, I mean, I guess you could in legend of Zelda, but like, the heartbreak of making it really far in a dungeon and then having to start over. It's just not worth it. There's definitely like that. Like it's, you know, I'm already past my bedtime. I just want to like finish this level. I feel like I'm so close. And then nope, get to start all over like game. Exactly. Over. Try again, kid. And like you, you, then you just go to bed dejected, you know, <laughs> dejected. Yeah. Or you throw a controller. I mean, the other thing is that it doesn't serve my style of gameplay, which is, 
you know, play for a little while and then just be like, I'm going to just do this carelessly because I want to get through it quickly and then die. But when you can rewind, you can be careless and die like 50 (laughs) times in a row, you know, instead of doing it once the right way, you just do it poorly 50 times and then you reach the same objective. So um, it's really fun. I think A Link to the Past, I mean, we've only played a couple hours of it, but I don't know. I think it's like worth playing. Like I I think if you have like Nintendo Switch online, I, I think it's actually like a really fun game with like fun it's very dungeony. Like I think it's basically mm-hmm. all just like kind of dungeon crawling. But right. um, yeah, it's a, it's a good time. I I want you to read some of the like Legend of Zelda lore, please, because like the whole okay. like Zelda Link Ganon like Trinity is the most bonkers like lore. Like I, I, I don't even know. Like I don't remember it all offhand. I just remember like they are stuck in some type of like perpetual loop that like they keep doing this to each other, and it's like. Uh, it's it it's insane for a little like kids you know for what is essentially a children's franchise right f- f- like yeah. born out of the 80s like that was represented in like eight bits it just it's got a lot <laughs> yeah there's there's a lot going on and i'm sure that there are some like Zelda heads out there who when they play Breath of the Wild they're seeing all the through lines with like all of the games that came before which I feel like every time I sort of look into this I discover another Zelda game that I didn't know existed I just feel like they (laughs) they somehow keep like having they've keep having happened i don't know when i saw the title in the in the show notes here i was like oh is that a new Zelda game (laughs) oh no it's the original I know there are so many. So yeah, I will, I will report back and see how far we get with this, you know, but one of the things about playing like older games is that it seems really novel and fun initially. And then it feels sort of tedious like that for me anyway. So we'll see how far I get with this. Yeah. I felt that way very much playing like retro clone, like Genesis games, you know, it was like, things are not quite as tight as you remember them. Like hitboxes, hit detection is pretty lousy. Like controllers aren't as responsive. Like everything is just off a little bit. Even going back and playing N64 sometimes can be frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, God bless the people who as like 40 year olds can play. Like I tried to also play like Super Mario World and I just can't I maybe if I had been playing platformers like my whole life, like mm. if I hadn't stopped when I was like 11, maybe right. I would still be really good at them. But it's really hard to like run and jump. Like that's my <laughs> big, I remember like, I remember that like when I was a kid and I played like Super Mario Brothers, I held down B and ran everywhere. And whenever I played with someone who was less used to playing video games and they never ran and they only walked, I was like, oh, that's not how this game is supposed to be played. <laughs> now when I play, that's how I play because I can't actually like do both things. I, I, it's too much. There are too many buttons. It's too many things at once. So I cannot imagine you, Sally, dunking on somebody for their video game mechanics, like for their like physical dexterity in a video game. Like the thing that you hate most about video games is is dexterity, and yet you would dunk on on kids that it's way. So true. Such a hypocrite. I'm such a hypocrite. <laughs> I think it's because the last time I was good, I, like the last time I needed dexterity to be good at a game, is when the only dexterity needed was holding down one button and hitting another. <laughs> and now I, I just feel like it's gotten really complex. There's just like a lot of buttons involved. Yeah, yeah, and I, I also think like pressure sensors in in the buttons, like to to measure how hard you're hitting it, have changed, and in a way that mm. like I just don't naturally like. I don't manage the button well anymore on like the original controllers. Like it's, it's, it's weird to think about. Like I used to 
it used to be like an extension of your hand, you know, and now it's like it's a foreign object. A hundred percent. Yeah, totally. All right, so let's move on to our main segment. We are going to talk about the game Raji, an Ancient Epic, which was released in August of 2020. It was developed by Nodding Heads Games in Pune, India, a team of 13 people led by the three founders of the company. I think uh, this is, you know, the first game that ever came across my radar that was developed in India, which was interesting. Like, I, I, I'm sure... I'm sure there are games that had Indian developers, right? But um, as as far as a studio that like was front and center on it, it's the first one that made it to the top of the Steam list anyway. Yeah, absolutely. So this game was nominated for Best Debut Game at the 2020 Game Awards. It has kind of like mixed reviews, I would say. So it was released in August just for Switch, and it has an average score of 69, which nice. is very nice. Yeah, for Switch and a user average of 7.8. And for PC, slightly higher, 71 average critic review and 7.7 user review. If you ask me, it has the perfect rating on Switch. <laughs> it's true, it does. It it has achieved the, the perfect Switch rating. And yeah, it, so I think that a very interesting thing about this game is that like, it, you know, it's made by... Indian developers, but also it is ba- the the game is based on Hindu and Balinese mythology and Indian art and architecture and so on, like just play a huge role in the game. And when I was reading about kind of the making of the game, one of the things that I that stuck out to me was that the devs they first they launched a Kickstarter that they couldn't fully fund. They it took them a really long time to find a publisher. And there were some quotes from the developers saying that they they just felt like people weren't willing to kind of take a chance on like this game and these developers based in India. Mm-hmm. They got a five million dollar grant for devs using the Unreal Engine. But even with that, and to, until they found a publisher, they were the founders were like funding the game themselves and really just bootstrapping it. It is a third person 3D action adventure platformer. And the devs say that it's inspired by Bastion, Journey, Transistor, Prince of Persia, God of War, uh, Hyper Light, Drifter, Devil May Cry. And, I, you know, I definitely see the the DNA, certainly, of, like, Bastion and Transistor in there. Mm-hmm. I'm not as familiar with the other games. I also see Prince of Persia. I'm not as familiar with the other games. But, you know, I, I think when you, when you play it, like, my experience playing it anyway was, like, I feel like the DNA and, like, the long history of, like, lots of games that are sort of they're they're hack and slashy but with like really really deep storytelling yeah yeah and you know like i see the god of war thing especially it you don't have the like mow through rooms of enemies the way that like god of war does but you definitely have the same kind of like really exaggerated like combat movement animation kind of sequences you know like you get that like i I got the same impression that you have that really like artful almost like you know, dancing through the combat, if you just kind of pull off all the little like combinations in the right sequence, mm-hmm. you know, like if, if you can like, you know, bounce off a wall and then string together a heavy attack and into a light, like you can kind of just dance through and like nothing touches you. And it feels like the animation feels really rewarding and, and it gives you enough time to like kind of plot your next move. It's not real twitchy. I don't know. It's like God of War is not what I initially would compare this game to at all. But I definitely see that come through a lot in like how the combat mechanics actually work, which which is cool. 
I'm, I'm glad they mentioned that because I probably wouldn't have noticed it. Yeah, actually. So that's a really good segue to talking about more about like the mechanics and the, and the gameplay loop. So yeah, Shane, like what are, what are your takeaways? Yeah. So like you said, 3d action platformer, all third person, you know, it's kind of has your standards for the genre puzzles, platforms and combat in a way it, like it, it feels a lot like uncharted in that, in that way, you know, hmm. like sometimes yeah. the puzzle is figuring out where to go. Sometimes like it's about getting the, like the right timing on your jump from platform to platform. And, and then sometimes it's just about executing the combat. You know, obviously you're not running around over Nathan Drake's shoulder, but um, <laughs> it definitely has that kind of feel. And then, uh, you know, the environments are gorgeous in a way that like is very Naughty Dog-esque. <laughs> There's no camera control. The camera transitions with you as you move through the environment. Um, and it's 3D. So it kind of like, it isn't side scrolling. It isn't isometric. It kind of like moves between the two sort of mm -hmm. to give you like kind of the right dramatic position. It'll kind of like pan out to give you like, it's cool. You fight like a bigger enemy, like a bigger demon. And like, you'll get smaller on the screen, right? As the camera kind of pans out and gives you more of a sense of scale. Combat is relatively simple. There's, there's, you basically have two types of attacks. Like you have a light attack and a heavy attack. They get strung together in combos, but then you can modify it with your movement. So like jumping or jumping off a wall or climbing or using terrain all, all create different effects with your, with your attacks. And then you also, I'm not there yet, but I know <laughs> from, from a trusted friend on this podcast that there's also like <laughs> several weapons and a way to customize those weapons using like elemental favor orbs um, that you pick up from the gods. So like you've got a little bit of customization, but it's, it's light on that regard, but it's always like, you know, your combat play style, you kind of choose the weapon that's going to to match your combat play style, you know, whether you want to kind of stay ranged, get more, you know, kind of combo and, and melee focused. Um, you start with a staff, which kind of gives you both. So it's, it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's like a, it's a pretty robust game. Um, just even in the base mechanics, right. Until you start messing with adding new weapons and things like that. Yeah, I agree. I think I was actually, there was enough there for me that I was like, Ooh, I'm getting more, I'm getting these, like, I'm, you know, these like favors from the gods to give me you know, different abilities and upgrades and weapons. I, I was like, I, I thought we, I would just go through the game with the staff and that seemed totally fine. So I, I agree. It does feel quite robust. Story-wise, I feel like the game really, really shines in terms of like story and aesthetic. So you play Raji, who's a circus performer, an acrobat. And actually one of the things that's cool is that like when Raji moves through the world, she does a lot of like, parkour-esque like jumping off of surfaces and like flipping into enemies and stuff like that which is really cool she does a lot of like cartwheels for uh for like combat rolls <laughs> like exactly springs things like that <laughs> yeah it's really rad so the story is about raji and her brother golu who become pawns in this war between gods and demons basically the gods and the demons for like the past thousand years there's been kind of peace and you know mortals have been living this complacent life you know enjoying their security because the gods had defeated the demons but now the demons are declaring war and they invade the the human realm and they kidnap golu for use in their war and raji is chosen to kind of she she has to go rescue her brother but she's also chosen to kind of like save humankind in the process and throughout the game as you're walking around and exploring you listen to durga and vishnu who are two 
principal deities in Hinduism Mm -hmm. talking about Raji and like sort of talking about like the quest she's on and whether she has the metal to like get the job done. Does it stay throughout that like Durga is kind of like the motherly, like encouraging sort of like in your corner voice and Vishnu is always sort of the voice of doubt. Yeah, that so far okay. I've only played a couple hours, but yeah, so far it's that. And this reminds me, like I started playing Immortals Phoenix Rising or Phoenix Immortals Rising, I can't remember, <laughs> which is similar in that you play your hero, maybe chosen by gods, I can't remember, but there are two gods that are talking about you mm-hmm. as you play and they're being real. It's a totally different thing. They're being really jokey and they're doing kind of a peanut gallery thing. And it's, it's, totally going for a different thing than Raji is going for. But in Immortals Phoenix Rising, it leaves me kind of cold because it's just kind of this attempt at being like funny that sometimes works, sometimes doesn't, but is just sort of like whatever. Whereas the conversations between Durga and Vishnu, I feel like are a really substantive part of the storytelling in the story, in the game. And I really enjoy, I I like stop and listen to them Mm -hmm. to hear, you know, what they're saying, which I, which is like, for someone who really enjoys story in a game, it's cool for it to be so important to the game that you want to like actually stop playing and like listen to the story. Yeah, definitely. Can we can we talk a little bit about the art style because they they made a lot of choices here. They all it's so unique. Like it is just not a style that you see I, I, that I have seen in like any other game. Yeah, same. And you know, a lot of times like I feel like nowadays games are often really beautiful. And so when you say like a game is beautiful, like I think of like The Last of Us 2, like seeing like the overgrown post-apocalyptic landscape, mm-hmm. or you think of like the the like the character modeling on Naughty Dog games or whatever, or like Horizon Zero Dawn. And and like, I, th- I feel like that is like graphic fidelity is like what beautiful means. Right. But in this game, it's, man, it is so beautiful. But, you know, for reasons that like you saying are, are you're saying are very unique just because I've never seen a game like this. So the game uses the Pahari art style, which is a style of miniature painting and book illustration that originated in the Himalayan foothills. You know, I I didn't really know much about, you know, Pahari art style or, you know, the stories in this game, which like I said are based on Hindu and Balinese mythology until I started doing this research. But I think that like if you know, even if you're like me and you're someone who doesn't know that much about Indian and Hindu culture and religion and stuff, I think that you will kind of recognize the art style. Like you've seen it, it's familiar, but this is one of those games where if you're familiar with like a lot of the mythology and what's happening, you know, religiously and culturally and architecturally, you'll get a ton out of this and appreciate things and see things. And if you're not, you'll still appreciate it for how deep the storytelling is and like how beautiful it is and just how much care has been taken to make this game feel like really of a place and really of a culture. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I that I found when I was researching the game is that um, the founder visited Rajasthan in Northern India and was like, you know, this would make a really great setting for a game. And the architecture in the game is modeled after medieval Rajasthan, which I think is really cool. Yeah. I like, they also made some, they, they made some choices in how to do this, like in the engine as well. Like, you know, it's, it uses the unreal engine, right? So it's got like solid 3d modeling, but then they hand paint the textures, right? Which is, I think similar to what Hades has done, um, which mm-hmm. gives you that kind of like 
modern character movement, but also like gives you that kind of like artistic style to what you're doing. And it especially works for the environments, right? Like the environments are gorgeous. Also like the cutscenes, like they do a really cool thing early on um, where they, they're when they introduce you to Raji and Golu and then like, you know, Raji's a circus performer. Golu does puppet plays. Like that's his role in the circus. And so he's doing a play when the demons like attack and and take him captive. And then the style of the cutscenes switch to be like silhouette puppets. Right. Mm-hmm. So from then on, like they're no longer like, you know, colored forms of themselves. They are just like black silhouettes on whatever background. Um, and you see the little like sticks that's that are moving them through the cutscenes. And like just all of that stuff, like it all just fits together really, really nicely in a way that like makes it feel cohesive, mm-hmm. which like it's it's a weird thing to, to take note of because you only really ever see it when it doesn't work, I guess, you know, mm-hmm. and like and like for this to be like, I, I, don't, I don't know, like they've just like for for a small indie game, like I feel like they put a lot of attention to detail that really comes through. Whereas like, I feel like a lot of times when you play smaller indie games, you end up kind of brushing over those like rough edges because, oh, they really focus on the mechanics, right? Or they like really got the movement to work well or the combat to work well. And like, that's what you're playing this game for is it's good elements, but like they didn't necessarily elevate the whole game. And it's just like, you know, being kind of briefly into it, like you can tell at least in the early sequences, there's a lot of that attention to detail and in the stylistic choices. So I'm, I'm like, it's cool. It's, it's, it is a unique game. Mm-hmm. It, it was like the first time that I played contrast where like, like they took like, that was a noir game. Right. But like they took the like noir Belle Epoque kind of like setting and made that the gameplay like this feels like a similar kind of thing where they like they took their setting they took their aesthetic they took like the store like right that story of the of the like epic and then like made that <laughs> like made the game flow out of that which is just it's just really cool to see when it works yeah i agree it, it's very like you said it's very cohesive the opening of the game with the you know go lose marionettes is probably like one of them, I, you know, a lot of times when I start a game, I'm like, let me just get through this like mm-hmm. long ass cutscenes and see what this game is about so I can play. I was like wrapped. I just like put the controller down and was watching it. I was like, tell me yeah. more stories this way. <laughs> I know. I know. Totally. It, it all feels very of a piece. It reminds me a lot of the game Brothers, A Tale of Two Sons. Mm-hmm. Partially because it's like a sibling story, but also because you can just tell that so much care has gone into making the feel of the game kind of match the aesthetics and, you know, like the, like kind of the emotional experience of playing the game goes with the story that's being told and even the mechanics and the gameplay loop. And Mm -hmm. that's something that like you're saying, Shane, like, you know, I've played plenty of games where like you can do really cool things and there's like a cool mechanic or there's a beautiful level, but there's something really special about a game where sort of every part of the experience of playing it feels organic to just the idea of the game. And that's something that, that really, really stands out. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, I think we're in first impression territory, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, I think we are. I think we are. I think it's time to talk about the fact that this game is very beautiful. That's one first impression. One thing that I cannot abide is the fact that I can't control the camera. And I, I I think it's just because I'm used to being able to control the camera in the games I play. I will say though, that like 
the fact that like the camera moves as you explore the different environments and it, you know, goes in or out depending on like who you're fighting and stuff like that, it does give a sort of like sweeping epic kind of cinematic feel to mm -hmm. combat and moving around the environment, which is really cool. But there are just so many times when I, I want to see a thing that I can't, that I'm not able to see. And I want to go to a place that I visually that I'm not able to go to. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you can't control the camera, the camera has to speak to you, right? Like, it, like the camera has to guide you along and like the movement of the camera has to tell you whether you're on the right path. And mm -hmm. early on, I kind of felt like, you know, like in one of the early combat sequences, like it does a really good job of kind of like framing it that way. But then like in some of the exploration between them, it doesn't. Mm -hmm. And it kind of like left me wondering if I'm going, like if I'm on the right track, which is weird when you're in the tutorial levels. Mm -hmm. So I could see how that would get kind of grading later on. But like, you know, it's a thing like, I guess Naughty Dog games have more, more of like kind of a fixed camera kind of view. You know, I, I, I was playing this and my wife was watching me play and she kept saying like, can you, can you zoom in? Because there are times when it zooms really far out and it's cool because you see the environment that Raji is moving through and the environment is really beautiful, but it also makes you want to get closer because it's so beautiful. Mm -hmm. You want to see more detail and you want to just, sometimes it feels like watching a television that's like too far away from you. Yeah. 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 No, no, that's the, and that's the conversation, right? Is it's like when it zooms out, it needs to like, it needs to be telling you, look at this environment, right? Like, cause when mm -hmm. it zooms that far out, what it's telling you is like your character model is not important. Whatever you're doing, wherever mm -hmm. you're walking, doesn't matter. Look elsewhere. But then when mm -hmm. it zooms in again, like it's telling you, look at me. Right. And like, yeah, if it yeah, doesn't yeah, yeah. do those at the right time to like focus on like the macro and then those like, like micro detail, like if it doesn't do that at the point where like your attention is followed, then it, it gets like out of sync. Like it, like it feels disjointed. Right. And like mm -hmm. the, the conversation isn't coming through in like the, the camera control. Like it's totally a, it's totally a thing that's like subconscious. Right. But I think like filmmakers are like hyper attuned to this. And like, as you know, just media consumers or whatever, like we can kind of like, we have our, a sense of the pulse of it, even if we can't quite put words to it. You know what I mean? Like something is wrong about this. And like you said, it was like, can you zoom in? Like, mm -hmm. I want to know what's going on around <laughs> yeah. me now. And that, that means the camera stayed zoomed out for too long. Right. Right. Like, right. right. If, if it had zoomed in at that moment, it would have been this sweeping, like perfect shot for you. And it would have brought mm -hmm. the cinematic experience through. But instead it felt like well, this is now like what was cool is now a detraction from, from what mm -hmm. I want from the game. So no, it's totally like, I totally see that. <laughs> yeah. It's, it might be a thing that is like less like interrupts less once I get more used to it. Yeah. That's also a possibility. Yeah. You might also need to learn their language. Right. And that's just, exactly. they have a different style. So exactly. I think that's right. Shane, what do you think about the combat so far? I am. <laughs> I felt like I was just smashing buttons <laughs> yeah. and, and it, I, I so far haven't really had any need to do more than that. I don't know. It doesn't, I know this game is not about combat and it shows <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> if it yeah. becomes about combat, I'll be disappointed. Let me put it that way. Yeah. I want, this is like one of those games where like, I don't really want it to be about combat per se, but I want the combat to just feel better. You know, I, there's something that it it feels a little bit like slow or something like i the the time between me hitting the button and raji doing what i want her to do like it just feels like there's sort of a beat mm -hmm. it also is like 
there there you learn these cool moves where you can sort of run up walls and like bounce off them into enemies and a lot of the environments you fight in have these like different like columns or poles but i find it actually really hard to get onto one of the poles or the columns because the surface area that you have to land on is pretty narrow and mm-hmm. it's like one it's like one out of every four times i'm able to actually execute that move and I'm not great at video games, but I'm good enough that I I feel like I should be able to like execute that move like a little bit better. So, you know, maybe the combat will get like more interesting and more like springy the further I get into the game. But for now, I'm just feeling like it's really the story and the aesthetic that are like pushing me through. And like you said, like it it must be that like the combat is just not as important. It it doesn't feel like it it's considered that important. Right. Yeah, and I, I'm with you on it feeling a little sluggish. Like, it, it just, you know, for all of the, like, acrobatic and dancing that Raji does, like, when she gets into combat, her character model does that, but your controls don't really reflect it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, like, you get, you kind of get, I think the problem is you get locked into long animations. Like, everything is a long animation. Mm, and, like, yeah, they're cool, true. but it isn't really rewarding to, like, you know, hit an input and then have to wait for three quarters of a second before you get to do another input. You know, it's mm-hmm. just, it's a little goofy in that regard, mm-hmm. but yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'll see Like, you know, I know there's, there's more weapons that are coming as well. And maybe there's like one that just kind of feels a little better in my hands. Mm-hmm. Totally. Totally. There are a lot of really nifty little details in this game and nifty big details like the puzzles nifty, are like, uh-huh. <laughs> the the puzzles are really fun there's just like a very small detail that i love which is that like when you turn on the game and you know restart it from the last time you played raji is like lying down and resting and she mm-hmm. just she gets up and starts walking around once you start using the controller and i just think that's i've never seen that before and i think it's like extremely charming she's a hero but she like she needs to take a rest and i love it takes a nap yeah yeah (laughs) all right so what are you looking forward to about this or what are you afraid of what's on the horizon for you as far as raji is concerned i'm really looking forward to this is like reading a book that you can't wait to get back to i'm really psyched to just see what raji does and see what durga and vishnu say I'm I'm really enjoying kind of, you know, dipping my toes a little bit in stories and mythology and art and architecture that I'm not familiar with and that, you know, video games rarely feature. So, you know, that's another part of of the experience of playing this game for me at least is like you know, and the developers kind of said like we we want like we want India to have a place on the map in terms of video games. And we want like Indian storytelling to have a place. And, Mm -hmm. and so it's, it's really cool to be exposed to that and to, and to be playing the game. So those are the things I'm looking forward to. I'm kind of worried that like combat is going to continue to be a bummer and that's going to make it like feel a little bit more arduous to like get through. But like you said, like maybe there will be new weapons. I'm not that far into the game either. So maybe there'll be weapons and abilities and stuff like that, that will make the combat feel a little bit better. What about you, Shane? So there is, um, there's like kind of a narrative convention in, in like these epic stories, like where like magic and gods or demons or devils are concerned where like, like things just are because that's the way the story needs them to be. Right. Like 
you know, the, the demon that like initiates the story, like kills a goddess just because, <laughs> mm-hmm. right. And it's just like, she, she, she grants him a weapon and then he turns around and just stabs her in the face. And, and like, and that's why, right. And mm-hmm. it works because it works. There's like, there's a magic to that, that like only is really found in epic tales and like the sort of like, I don't know the way that that power is conveyed so casually, right. Of like, you know, a world changing event has happened, but it's done in a line of text is like such a like hallmark of like epic poems and, mm-hmm. and things like that. Like, and I, I haven't had that kind of media in a while, I guess. And I'm, so that's what I'm kind of excited about is like I, the, the, the fact that it is an epic and that it is rooted and, and tries to be like faithful to that, like you see it very early on in the storytelling. So I'm really excited to have that kind of story. Cause it's just, it's not something that I've had in a while. Like everything now that I, that I'm consuming is very like nitty gritty detailed, like, you know, like even like Vikings, which is a TV show that I'm, I've been binging is like, it's the story of Ragnar Lothbrok, who is the national hero of Iceland and like is himself the story of uh, the subject of epic poetry. But it's like, he gets home and then has a fight with his wife, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> he has to deal with his best friend, <laughs> you know, and mm-hmm. it's like, you know, the sack of Paris is interesting, but also like he's got to deal with like one of his kids is a problem, you know, it's just like, so it's, it, it is an epic in the way that it's told, even if there are epic moments. And, and like, so I'm excited about a story that is just like truly an epic, I guess is, is where this is all going, Sally. I love that. I mean, that. I mean, look, when the gods are narrating what your character is doing, you might be in an epic. So, you might be um, in an epic. <laughs> yeah. So I totally, I agree. That's a really fun and like, for me, kind of like relatively rare or unfamiliar experience. So that that's, and it's just, it's also nice to not be, you know, so much of what I consume is kind of like about Western, you know, about like European or like fantasy European cultures mm-hmm. and peoples. Yeah. And it's nice to hear some stories that are not about, you know, Western folks. Sure. Is there anything else you want to talk about with Raji or should we, should we move on? No, just, you know, looking forward to next week when we finish the game and, you know, have a real review to give. Same. So, okay, well, let's talk about something that we are excited about before we end this episode. Shane, what are you excited about? Dr. Afra. Uh, speaking of Star Wars, so this is a comic book series written by Kieran Gillian about uh, sort of the female Indiana Jones in the Star Wars universe. She <laughs> She's a ne'er-do-well rogue archaeologist who finds artifacts, gets in over her head, shoots her way out of it. She She's her companions are a couple of murderous droids and some, you know, big bad bounty hunters and that kind of stuff. And she's just a, you know, a, a staple of the Star Wars underworld. Anyway, it's uh, like I read it in the trades and I kind of catch up on it every like year or two when when like a couple years have, have backed up because I'm bad about reading comics. So I've got like another dump of like three volumes to, to get caught up on. So I'm just rereading it from the beginning. I'm just reminded of how much I like love this character. She's like this complete like she's like an archetypal like disaster by <laughs> like nice. she's she's you know in love with like a a, a 
high-ranking imperial officer she's being hunted by darth vader it's like it's great <laughs> like Sounds meanwhile amazing. she's like trying to steal these like artifacts that you know if they fall into the wrong hands will absolutely murder everybody in the room you know it's it's just you know a it's great. See, this so, is the kind fun. of thing that makes me feel like I should be paying more attention to the Star Wars universe because this sounds I'll rad. Tell you what, I'll just send you the link to the comic and you'll be fine because that's it's, that's the good Star Wars, right? It's the it's the small Star Wars. It's the fun stuff. So anyway, yeah, I'm getting caught up on that. Really enjoying it. I've actually been reading it to to my daughter to help her fall asleep, uh, mostly because I want to read it and she can't tell what I'm reading anyway. So. Nice. <laughs> I love that. It's good to get them this like this good fantasy stuff in their brains really, really, really early. Yeah. Plant that seed. Yeah. yeah plant she'll that be, seed. You know, it's either that or the mouse. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about you? What are you reading? Okay. So I am reading the lies of Locke Lamora, which is on whose recommendation on whose recommendation. Um, I think I was just Googling. Wait, how did I come to find Are you this serious? One? This isn't on my recommendation. This is like I one know, of my favorite it, series. <laughs> I, I was, you know, I was going to say, like, I was going to say, like, Shane, I feel like you've definitely read this because it just feels like a Shane book. It, it absolutely um, have, yeah. <laughs> I, I think I, I think that I found it. Uh, there was like a BuzzFeed article that was like, if you binge this TV show, read this book. Uh, okay. And it served me well for the book they recommended for if you binge the boys. So I think that's where I found this. But I bet that you, you've you actually probably subliminally planted the seed. I'm sure you've mentioned it to me. Perfect. This fucking book, man, I, is so, I'm so obsessed with it. I'm like 150 pages in. I think it's like 500 pages. So I'm not really that far. It, but it, it's, um, it's about, it, yeah. It's... Uh, it's so good. <laughs> it's it's so good. It's so good. I like messaged our friend James and Tricasso while I was reading to be like the world building is bananas. Like I just feel like any role play any role playing game person needs to know about Camor, which is the which is I think it's based on Venice. It's the fictional yeah, city. Venice. Yeah, yep. fantasy Venice. The fucking the world building in this book is just so rad. It's about Locke Lamora, who's kind of like a con artist. And well, he's a priest too. <laughs> well, yeah. Okay. Fair. And his like, group, he's a priest of a trickster God, basically. Right. Yeah. And, and his, his little group, which is called the gentleman bastards and kind of, I I'm at a part in the book where the, the, their first like long con is like kind of starting to unfold, but it's just really compelling. And if you like really, I, I, I really love anything that takes place in a city or a fantasy city. And this Kamor is really cool. The, like the political structure is really interesting. The underworld is really fascinating. I don't know, man. Everything about this is th this is a book that I'm like excited to pick up every time I pick it up. And how many are there, Shane? I feel like there's a couple, right? I believe there's four. Okay. So the author is Scott Lynch. I don't know if he's released a fifth. I I honestly can't remember because it, it it's been the the next entry has been like announced and delayed a couple times, I believe. And then there's I think a short story got released. But okay. Anyway, there's there's a it's a series. It's the Gentleman okay. Bastard series, but just the uh, man. the The next book is Pirates, so you know, like, oh, like nice. this. This was Your just jam. like injected straight into my veins. <laughs> like, yeah, totally. From like fantasy thief to fantasy pirate, I'm all in. <laughs> yeah, that's your uh, that's your that's your calling card. That's your birthright. That's your middle exactly. name. Exactly. Oh man, I'm so excited now. I can like talk to you about this. I had a feeling like this is just a Shane book, but I didn't realize that you were like 
a hardcore gentleman bastards person. So I'm excited to message you about this. Yeah. I, I mean, I'll probably just reread it now. Like I'll nice. finish Dr. Eifer and just reread it so that I'll be up to date. Cause I, it's probably been a few years since I read it, but it's, it's great. Yeah. No, it's what's annoying series. is that I'm going to be telling you about how I'm like getting to the last third of the first book and you will have already reread like the first two, but whatever, we'll cross that bridge That's, when we get to it. That's what I do. Yeah, that's what you do. <laughs> anyway, so definitely read The Lies of Locke Lamora. I think that's it for this episode. Please rate us and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find us on Twitter at Co-op Mood Pod with no punctuation. And you can follow me on Twitter at Mundangerous. And you can follow me at Sally T. And you can also email us at coopmoodpod at gmail.com. And you can find us and other great gaming podcasts on the OneShot Network at OneShotPodcast.com. <laughs>